Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, the quality of life feature everyone's been asking for, the option to skip this cold open. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with ya. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined as I am always joined by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. We've got a good show for you today. We're going to be talking about the news from the week, including the quality of life changes coming to Skyward Sword HD. And then on Thursday, we are definitively determining the best Nintendo animal companion of all time, I'll say it. But in the meantime, Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, I'll t- warn you right now that uh, somebody on my street continues to set off fireworks even though we are post july 4th and so if you hear enormous booms it is not uh aliens from war of the worlds coming to incinerate me it is in fact Mm. a neighbor shooting off um professional fireworks into the sky uh after july 4th i mean but could it be someone firing off fireworks to deter the uh aliens from the tomorrow war that are invading your street? Is that possible? <laughs> yeah, that that is possible. It's also possible that they are shooting them off to provide cover for the aliens mm. um, from the Tomorrow War who uh, oh, are invading yeah. my street. Dang. So you don't know if they're friend or foe is what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> That's tough. Everyone's got to be careful. Speaking of things you got to be careful about, my copy of Sonic Forces for the Nintendo Switch. Would you like to borrow it? You can certainly try. All you got to do is email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. And give us a mailing address where we can send you my copy of this game for you to play as long as you want. Um, I mail it to you. And then I provide a post, uh, prepaid postage uh, envelope for you to send it back to me. Um, it's the easiest program to participate in in the world. Uh, the easiest and best. Um, one thing that might happen to you is that you may get my copy of Untitled Goose Game. Uh, instead of Sonic Forces, it'll just be in the box. Um, and there's there's no way to control that. There's no... There's no one like you can bribe to not be affected by it. There's no one. There's 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 just nothing for it. That's actually a really good point, Patrick. We've rarely extolled the virtues of how easy the program is. We've talked about how perfect it is on multiple occasions. But truly, I cannot express to you, dear listener, this program is so easy to be a part of. Yeah, that's right. And and thank you to everyone who has, and thank you to everyone who has put their name on the list and are patiently waiting. I know there are a fair few of you. Um, and look, it turns out when you s- tell someone that they can play your game for as long as they want before sending it back, uh, they keep it for a while. <laughs> keep it for a while. <laughs> and we're totally Perfect okay program. with that. No yep, rules. Yep. No rules, except the ones that are, uh, we've talked about that already exist. Another thing you can do is you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Um, if you leave us a review somewhere that's not the U.S. Uh, Apple Podcast Store, send us a note, send us an email, send us a tweet, and we will shout you out on the podcast. We really appreciate five-star reviews. They help people find the show. They help Patrick and I um, build some semblance of hope in our lives. Uh, and Just as sliding <laughs> further and further down. As I'm saying this, I realized that I failed to check this week to see if we have any mm. new reviews, but I have faith that we do, and we will catch up on them next week, of course. Perfect. Um, uh, yeah, so th- thank you f- to everyone who, who does uh, re- review us. It, we appreciate it um, a lot. Uh, Mark, we've got some emails to get to um, before we dive into the rest of the show here. Um, <clears throat> first, we got an email from Michael, uh, and Michael is writing to us about Mario plus Rabbids. Uh, Michael writes, hey guys, I just listened to your episode ranking the Rabbids. I definitely agree with the rankings. Rabbid Peach is a favorite of mine, but the exception is Rabbid Cranky. He would be my number in my number two spot, and it is part due to uh, my love for, for the Donkey Kong franchise. I love how he gets angry at times, and when you get a game over, he will scold Donkey Kong for it. Which is pretty cute, and again, uh, probably you and I missed out on it just because we... Uh, didn't actually play the Donkey Kong uh, a- expansion in uh, Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Um, but then Michael goes on to say, uh, also you brought up Rabbid Kong, 
but what about Buario and Bwaluigi? I'd probably rank them pretty low, personally. I can't wait for the sequel, but I can't help but wonder if we see more interactions from any of the Kongs again. Um, Mark, this is a great point. Buario and Bwaluigi, we didn't bring up at all. Sort of forgot about them. I completely forgot about them. It's so much so that you're going to have to remind me what they are. Yeah, so they're a boss fight that you like take on together, both uh, Wario and Bwaluigi. Um, and they're, they're sort of a boss fight. They don't really display any personality, which is why they are so imminently forgettable. We talked so much about uh, Rabbit Kong um, because we saw, look, we identified a himbo, right? We identified him. And we were like, we got to talk about him. Uh, I, I, I think probably Buario and Waluigi would have just been at, at the bottom of our list. Yeah, um, they, they would have to be. I struggle to have any uh, feelings on them at all, because even though you have reminded me that they exist, I still have no memory of it. Yeah, it's weird. They're, they're almost just like reskins of like the, um, the sort of like uh, bruiser uh, characters, like the really big ones uh, that have uh-huh. pipes strapped to their back and would just like club you with them. Um, they're that, but wearing the uh, Wario and Waluigi outfits. Interesting. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. Um, next up, we've got an email from Chariot Goblin about Smash Ultimate DLC Song Hour Count. Um, hey, Patrick and Mark, you guys were wondering about the hour count of, of the DLC music. Thanks to, thanks to the Smash Ultimate playlist feature, I have been keeping, keeping track of all the DLC songs, including the Me Fighter songs. The total number of DLC songs is 182. Oh my gosh. This will take roughly 7 hours and 25 minutes to listen through. Uh, here's another stat. The Terry Go- Bogart Challenger Pack still has the record of the highest number of songs for a Smash DLC uh, pack being 50 songs. Meanwhile, Minecraft Steve and Alex Pack has the lowest number being only 7 songs thank you chariot goblin for that uh, additional information mark it's like seven and a half hours of music that's been added to this game that's crazy i also did not realize that um terry bogard had mo- like more than 50 tracks that's pretty remarkable J- i mean just because yeah. like uh king of fighters i cl- uh, total blind spot for me i know it exists but i have not really played a bunch of the games and so the fact that like uh it must have a lot of banging music to make to get that many tracks yeah. into um, Smash Ultimate. I mean, you also have to remember that it, it is a not that Tekken isn't, but like it is a super long running fighting game series, right? Like the King of Fighters that I think thirteen is the one that's coming out next. Or I mean, I get I'm not super plugged into that either, um, so I might might have that wrong. But like that's so high. No video game franchise gets to that high of just just numbering the games. It's like King of Fighters. And Final Fantasy, and that's it. Everyone else uh, does something different. Yeah, everybody switches to subtitles to be like King of Fighter, King of the Streets. Yeah. Um. So thank you for that research, Cherry Goblin. We were sort of uh, on the uh on on the topic of um Smash uh in, in the emails and uh, Twitter responses this week. Um. So uh, Paul C. Pace tweeted us tweeted at us and said uh we 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 were talking a little bit about uh the um presentation the Mr. Sakurai presents uh on Kazuya um and uh we thought it was interesting that there wasn't that in the Mii Fighter portion that it didn't say uh like uh Smash, Super Smash Brothers cross um Devil May Cry or uh the Elder Scrolls um and so Palsy Pace tweeted us and said, the speculation I heard is that they don't have Cross the Elder Scrolls or Cross Devil May Cry because those are M-rated games and Smash is rated teen. Um, and then we were also directed to a, a, a tweet uh, by uh, OmniJake472. He directed us to Ultima Shadow X's tweet, which read, also for people curious as to why the meat costume said X Dante and X Dragonborn, uh, it's... Uh, an ESRB thing where you apparently can't directly title drop a game of a higher age rating in your own game without raising your own age rating. In Japan, they show the title of the series. Man, uh, Nintendo raise the age rating for Smash Brothers Ultimate to mature, so we can, so we can like uh, bask in the glory that is having. Smash Brothers cross the Elder Scrolls in all of our trailers. 
I mean, the, this is the weirdest thing to me is that, like, I understand that you wouldn't be able to... I actually don't get it because it doesn't truly make sense. Um, but, like, why... I, so I, I can accept that it wouldn't be... You can't show it in the game without ra- a, a raising... Raid... What am I saying? Raising the age. Um, but why not the trailer? Why not in the promotional material? That seems totally different. <laughs> I Well, I, uh, I mean, I guess... It makes it makes the same sort of logic that like the film ratings from uh, the Motion Picture Association of America makes some sort of logic where you're like, well, somebody had to make up the rules, so sure, you can say the f word once in a PG thirteen movie. Um, but and so like it's like, well, does this really make sense? I don't know, but like somebody had to make up the rules, so okay. That that's a great point. Yeah, I don't know if it makes sense, but someone did establish this system, and we're stuck with it. Um, all right, and then our final final email is from Martin. Martin writes, uh, Hey guys, I'm sensing some muted enthusiasm for the Skyward Sword HD, especially in a post-Breath of the Wild world. I was on a Breath of the Wild high in 2017, craving more adventure, and gave The Witcher a spin, but that guy couldn't even clamor over a rock, never mind scale a mountain. So out came my Wii U, and I fired up Skyward Sword. Yes, the story is a little slow, and Fee is a little annoying, but the game is the culmination of structured Zelda, blended with embryonic Breath of the Wild mechanics. Uh, <clears throat> comforting like Dragon Quest, but with the energy to keep, to keep me hooked. Most of all, this game is a chance to experience something Breath of the Wild left behind. Dungeons. Some of the best d- Zelda dungeons ever. An ancient cistern and the, uh, the ancient cistern and the sand ship are real treats. I won't say any more for fear of spoilers. That's Fee's job, he, uh, he notes. Uh, I'll just say that they are, there's some real neat time shifting. Uh, I was so pleased I gave it a go, even straight after Breath of the Wild. And, er- and anyone, who, anyone who is prepared to look past the hand-holding veneer has a real treat in store. Thanks for sharing yourselves with the world each week. Martin. Martin, for all the reasons that you described, I am excited for Skyward Sword. I've never played it before. Um, I loved Breath of the Wild. But I am ready for some, uh, like, kind of throwback old school Zelda. And to have one that is kind of brand new to me is really exciting. Although I will say that I have been able to experience that kind of, like, throwback Zelda fairly recently since we've been playing through Oracle of Ages. But I will. My lips are sealed until we get to the correct part of the show for that. Well, so I think, uh, and, and I, we'll, we'll have some other comments about... Um, you know, the, the sort of uh, annoyances and like the veneer of handholding um, that you mentioned, Martin, uh, later in the show. So uh, I think at this point, I'm just going to say thank you for writing in. That's good context as we go through the rest of this show. Mark, let's get into what we've been playing this week. So we have been playing Oracle of Ages uh, because we are going to be appearing on Connor McCabe's the Zelda Game Club, part of Super NPC Radio. Um, we're recording it this week. I'm really excited for that. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to come out. But Patrick, um, Oracle of Ages is... an. I'm having an interesting experience with it. Everybody take a drink. Um, <laughs> I thought it was... So I've played one of these games before, right? Like it, uh, Oracle of Ages was released at the same time as Oracle of Seasons. They are Game Boy Color games that are, I would say, are heavily influenced by Link's Awakening. And my, I can't remember which one of the two that I played in the past. My memory is that I really liked it, and I have more complicated feelings on Oracle of Ages this time. Yeah, and I, I would say that is consistent with my experience of, uh, of them, both in that I know I played at least a fair amount of one of them before. Um, and do not remember which one. Um, and then uh, in, in playing Oracle of Ages now, um, one of the things that has uh, really stuck with me is that it, the, the game is uh, like kind of more repetitive uh, and like a little bit flatter than I, I want out of a Zelda game, right? Um, but I, I find that there are these um, sort of like environmental puzzle difficulty spikes every now and then where I just find myself going right to a guide and being like, show me step by step what to do to solve this puzzle. Cause I am not going to 
I'm playing a Zelda game, a Zelda game, dang it. Like, I, I don't want to have to figure out how to do this, like, uh, color-changing block puzzle uh, over and over again. Yeah, totally. I'm surprised at like the repeat content in the dungeons. Like, yeah, and they those d- puzzles rely heavily on um color. So it's like the there's like a puzzle block where you have to rotate the block into its like nest with the correct color, and that one gets like repeated multiple times. And so on the one hand, it's like ah, clearly they're trying to show th- how cool the Game Boy Color is. But it is a game from 2001, and yeah. it feels like a game from, like, much earlier in the Game Boy life. It's, it's, yeah. really, did, did you ever it's play, really strange. Did you ever play the uh, Link's Awakening um, DX, like the, the Game Boy Color version? Or even the, uh, the, the Color Dungeon in the Link's Awakening remake? I uh, I think I, the only time I've played the Color Dungeon was as part of um uh the Link's Awakening remake on Switch. Um, so that the, you know there are a lot of those color puzzles in um that dungeon, obviously. Um, but the dungeon is also like really brief. Like you can you can get through it pretty quick, and because of the fact there's only one of them, it doesn't really repeat itself. Um, and it's really like seeing. The, the the Oracle of, of Ages feels a lot like if they had to take the concepts developed in the color dungeon and expand them out to be eight dungeons. <laughs> yeah, it, it's... I completely agree. I, I don't know how I feel about it in general. I do think some of the trouble, at least for me, is like, because we're going to record in... Uh, a podcast about it be guests on a podcast about it i there's like a time pressure to like have to kind of cram it all in and so when the game is really lengthy and like uh with what i feel like is just like filler then it kind of drives me crazy because it's like you could have cut this you could have cut the why are you making me do like all of this whole like elaborate um uh like trading sequence when you know like i'm going to the same place like multiple times and i wonder if there wasn't that like time pressure and i was just casually like picking it up playing a little bit putting it down if it would feel less like obnoxious to me yeah well the 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 thing with the trading quest is that there are like multiple of them and like one big one kind of going throughout the whole game and then like several little ones sometimes leading up to um you know the in the lead up to a, du- a specific dungeon um and there there are a, a couple of these that like I've just been really ground down by to the point where I'm like I don't want to do this anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But you know there there, there is I'm mean, kind of no matter what there's always like the Zelda ness of it to lean back on where you're like no oh, but I'm Link and I'm running around with the sword and the shield and like jumping around with the rock's feather and throwing a boomerang like okay this isn't so bad. Yeah, that's um totally true. Also, it's given us or at least me anyways a couple of potential entries in the best Nintendo animal companion that uh, I think yes. otherwise I would have overlooked. So yeah, likewise, um, there, there are three animal companions that you experience uh, throughout the course of that game. There's a kangaroo, a bear with ra- with wings and uh, a Dodongo that swims for some reason. <laughs> uh, and it, it, there, there's like a, a neat system in there in that like you encounter all three of them, but you choose one to be like your permanent companion throughout the rest of the game. Um, which I can't say that I totally understand just yet, um, but maybe I will as I uh, approach the end game. Mark, how how far are you in the game right now? So I just beat the like mermaid cave, uh, and yeah. so I'm on my way to Jabu Jabu's belly. Uh, that's so that is you just finished the sixth dungeon. Uh, I am in the middle of the sixth dungeon, um, which has a. You have to do it in the past and the present, um, mm-hmm. sort of like at, at the same time or alternating. Um, so it's all of the joy of the bottom of the well uh, from Ocarina of Time with the uh, water uh, temple from Ocarina of Time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at least I will say that this game does have Tingle. And so no game True. That, True. Uh, that contains an appearance of Tingle can truly be terrible. 
yeah, I forgot I forgot that Tingle is in there and uh, is just as wonderful as always. Um, so that that's most of what we've been playing this week. Um, Mark did put out a call last week asking for uh, listener reactions or reviews of uh, Mario Golf Super Rush, and we did get a tweet from Omni Jake said, "If I may, if I may give my take on Mario Golf Super Rush, my friend and I love playing it. It's fun to play online, but I think that's probably all I'll do. Uh, the only other thing you can do is play story mode." which will unlock the rest of the board, and that takes about five hours. Um, so it sounds like a, a fairly limited um, like a, a gameplay experience uh, for um, OmniJake here. Um, and I guess that uh, it's, it's... I feel like that might be okay. Um, a little bit weird to spend $60 on, but like, you know, there's space in my heart for a game that I mess around with for a little while and don't like you know hand my soul over to it's really hard still coming off of hades right like <laughs> where uh I, I, there's a a obsessive video game shaped hole in my heart um and like you know i shouldn't expect to fill that with uh the skyward sword remake or um uh mario golf super rush but like i can have fun with them right yeah and i i like multiplayer games so having like a go-to like couch co-op or online co-op multiplayer game like sounds like a ton of fun uh it's but i'm always hesitant to buy them especially on switch because it's just like i have found recently in my life that i'm not really able to like play a bunch of games with people at the same time and so um although maybe buying it would force me to do that and that would be a good thing for me so i don't know uh, maybe it would, but also we're, we're creatures of habit, you know, yeah, and spending spending $60, that's not going to force your habits to change. Come on. <laughs> All right. Those are the new releases. Let's get or no, those aren't the new releases. I'm about to transition us to the new releases. That's what we've been playing this week. Let's get into the new releases. So today, July 6th, the silver case 2425 is released. This is the... Uh, a grasshopper manufacturer Suda 51 game. Um, it includes the silver case and the 25th ward colon the silver case. I don't know exactly what the 25th ward is. I th- it might be like a previous remake, but these are like early Suda 51 games. I haven't played the silver case. I did play on the Nintendo DS. There was a port of Flower Sun Rain, which is like an adventure game also in the uh, silver case universe. And it was a really interesting experience. These games are very strange. Like the, uh, the flower sun rain, you uh, are like this dude on an Island. There's a mystery, uh, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Um, It plays very much like a Suda 51 game in that, like the controls are a little janky, all of, but, it gets by on like the story and the charm. So if you're, I think this is the first time that the silver case has been released in English. Maybe I might be wrong on that part, but basically this is an early Suda 51 game. If you've liked his other work, uh, I I think I enjoyed my time with flower sun rain on the DS. So might be worth checking out or at least doing some research in if his games like tickle your fancy at all. That's interesting because they, they, I always, there's always a part of Suda games that I'm interested in. Um, but like, you know, the most of what I see from him are the No More Heroes games, which seem to be like anchored in this, uh, sort of like hyper masculine, hyper American, um, you know, like jock idiot with a sword, um, which is like a choice and like obviously one that an artistic choice that he's making, uh, but not necessarily one that I want to engage with. If this is, uh, that same, kind of attention to aesthetic and style um that suda demonstrates in the no more heroes games but not tied to travis touchdown uh I, this might be something i have to check out yeah it's they're interesting like the games are at least my experience with flower sun rain is that the game is frustrating um and because it like many of his titles they're made on a budget and so it doesn't have like a lot of polish but it, yeah. they're really, like, inventive. It kind of reminds me of um, David Lynch a little bit. Like, some of his, like, 
uh, later, like, crunchier movies, like uh, Inland Empire, where it is almost like a tone poem and doesn't necessarily, like, you're playing it or you're watching it for the experience of it and not necessarily because the moment-to-moment is super satisfying or uh, polished. I mean, but that's, you know, I want to say that I love that. I don't always love that, but, like, you know, just having the option to experience something that is, you know, treating like the language of cinema in like a different way. You know, something like, uh, you ever see Lost Highway? Yeah, totally. Uh, it, where like the the main character like is played by a different actor halfway through, and like I don't, it's just like a, a wild trippy thing where you're like it things change, but they're also like in the world of the movie not changing. I don't know. It's uh, it, it it's neat to engage with an artist that is uh, playing with a medium like that. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, also released today is Ye- Yee's 9 Monstrum Nox. This is a, a Falcom RPG series for the longest time exclusive to PlayStation, but NIS America has um, ported the last couple over to Switch uh yeez 8 came out in i think like 2016 or 2017 on switch and then also released today on the eShop is a plague tale innocence cloud edition this is the first game in the series of plague tale the sequel was announced at e3 and is also coming to switch via the cloud edition but if you're interested in playing the first one it is available today and then probably the big release of the week is on friday july 9th Monster Hunter Stories 2 Wings of Ruin is released for Switch. Um, where what are you thinking about that Monster Hunter Stories 2? I still haven't picked up that demo. Yeah, I haven't either. I think it looks cute. I'm interested to see what the uh, uh, reviews for it are. But after I finish Oracle of Ages, I have promised myself that I am going to continue Dragon Quest XI-S Echoes and Elusive Age Definitive Edition for the Nintendo Switch. And so I am not letting anything distract me from that goal. Uh, very good. I have already played Dragon Quest XI as Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition for the Nintendo Switch. So maybe I'll dip into Monster Hunter. But the thing is that, uh, w- that by that point, we're a week out from Skyward Sword HD. And I know that when that game comes out, that'll, that'll get my full attention. Uh, and I'll, I'll be big into that. So, uh, you know, may- maybe not. Sorry, Monster Hunter Stories 2. We'll check you out later. Um, All right, Mark, those are the new releases. Let's close this segment out. Which brings us to a regular segment on our show. It is time for 433. In 1952, American composer John Cage wrote a piece called 433, wherein a performer or group of performers did not play their instruments for four minutes and 33 seconds. For the purposes of this show, our instruments are talking about Nintendo. So for the duration of one performance, 433, Mark and I will talk about something not at all Nintendo related, thus fulfilling the contract of the piece. Uh, Mark, today we are discussing what brands other than Nintendo are we loyal to and why? This is suggested uh, to or suggested by Alana um, for our 433 episode. Uh, thank you, Alana, for sending that in. Um, Mark, what, uh, what, what, what comes to mind? What, what, kind of, what brands are you loyal to? Um, I, so this is not one current but when I was little, like maybe like very young, maybe like four or five years old, um, my mom, we just always shopped at one specific grocery store. And for whatever mm. reason, I did not want to go to that grocery store. I wanted to go to Albertsons. Albertsons to me was like the grocery store we should be shopping at. And so whenever we did go to Albertsons, it, was, it felt like Right. And that, for whatever reason, I, I couldn't even tell you yeah. why as a kid I, pref- I wanted to go to Albertsons, but I did. And then that like carried through as an adult. Like when I first moved to LA, there was an Albertsons within walking distance of the apartment I was in. And it was like, oh, this, is, this is perfect. This is exactly what uh, every, like, my LA experience is lining up. It's, it's, and of course, it was like the worst Albertsons in the world. It was like an awful grocery store. But um, uh, I, I, it it felt right in the moment. You're not referring uh, to the uh, the Albertsons on Hillhurst, are you? Oh, I am. I am referring to the Albertsons on Hillhurst. <laughs> I like I like that Albertsons. <laughs> <laughs> um, when 
when because you and I uh, uh, perhaps a little little known fact, um, but when when you first moved to LA and when I first moved to LA, um, we were we moved so close to each other, like didn't know each other, but we were on basically the same block. Um, so yeah, a, a lot of our early uh, LA memories and resources are the same. <laughs> um, but I always liked that Albertsons. Uh, and preferred it to the, there was also a Ralph's near, um, our, our apartments, uh, which was, uh, not a good Ralph's. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, I think, uh, grocery store chain, um, loyalty is something that I have not really carried with me, um, forward from my youth. Um, cause like Wisconsin grocery stores are strange, right? Uh, there's one called Piggly Wiggly. Um, there was a, uh, a, a, Woodman's, uh, which is like an enormous grocery store. Uh, I used to joke that it's so big that you could perceive the curvature of the earth within the store. Um, <laughs> uh, and like, I like those grocery stores, but like, I don't have access to them now. So like, I don't feel, you know, I, I don't feel any kind of loyalty to them. But I, I, I know people do, like, especially uh, in like New York State, like people love Wegmans, um, you know. That's a. Uh, I, I feel like that. That's a very specific kind of brand loyalty. Yeah, and I feel like probably ninety nine percent of the brands that I'm loyal to were like imprinted on me as a child, just because like you know like I visited them as a child. I saw a commercial for them as a child, and so now yeah. visiting them like is somehow connected to my childhood, and so I continue to do so. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that as an adult, I've uh, adopted like an Apple loyalty, um, especially as far as like hardware is concerned. You know, my phone is an iPhone, my computer is a, a, an iMac. Um, and I, I, I guess I don't really know why I make that choice, but I do. I know it's more expensive. Um, but like, you know, I, I just I also know it as like a set it and forget it. Like, I don't have to worry about like, you know, updates and stuff like that for an mm -hmm. Apple computer. Yeah, I'm trying to think, like, I feel like I do have, like, little brand loyalties, um, but most of them are, like, in things like, okay, yeah, like, I'm always going to get, like, Tide, for whatever reason, like, Tide is the brand oh, of, um, like, laundry detergent that I use, and I don't even think about it, like, it's not even like I go to the grocery store and I'm like, I consciously choose to purchase Tide, it's like, oh, I'm just gonna go pick up tied well, that's kind of frightening when you think about it yeah where you're like why do you do that why why do you make that choice um do you have a like an ice cream brand loyalty you're not really an ice cream guy i'm not really an ice cream guy so i i don't particularly um it doesn't really matter to me how about you um i feel like i always gravitate towards a briars um as for like a grocery store ice cream right like not, i'm not getting like a little pint like for like a big um what is it like a gallon i don't know um that like i i i my default thought is get the briars ice cream and i have to make the choice to get something else what is it in wisconsin where do you guys fall on that line is it briars yeah yes isn't there like an east coast variant that is not briars like isn't it something else oh boy i don't know i don't think so <laughs> i don't know about it um, all right, that's the applause. We were accompanied today by the Randolph College Chamber Orchestra, um, conducted, no, uh, yes, conducted by Randall Spear with soloist William Parrish Jr. All right, Mark, let's get into the news. So we talked the other week about a handful of quality of life improvements for Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD that appeared on the game's official UK website. But Nintendo released a video trailer detailing these quality of life updates, including the, I think like the trailer itself is called Quality of Life Updates in Skyward Sword HD. And so it delineates it a little more clearly. Yeah, what, what, an, what an amazingly long time they waited to put this video out. <laughs> so uh, the stuff they call out are optional help from Fee. So Fee only appears in cutscenes or when necessary and can otherwise be summoned manually by, to provide advice or guidance. And again, I've never played the game, but my understanding is that previously there was a lot of like uh, Navi in Ocarina of Time, like 
you are forced to um uh like listen to the uh little tidbits that she has yeah basically what it is is uh, it gives you a hint on how to solve every puzzle the second you encounter it um so like even before you have an opportunity to like you know be stuck on it for it, before you even know there's a, a puzzle there um Fia's telling you the solution uh they tout the enhanced frame rate the game runs at 60 frames per second resulting in smoother gameplay you can fast forward dialogue text shown on screen can be fast forwarded by pressing the b button um oh streamlined item information this is a big one explanations for collectible items such as insects and materials only appear the first time the item is collected um they even because previously what would happen is in each game session they would only show up one time but if you like quit the game and then reloaded a save those item dialogue boxes would pop up the next time that you picked up one of those items and so in the video they go so far as to show link picking up an item seeing the dialogue box and then they quit uh they save quit reload the save and then go back into it pick up the item again and they don't get the dialogue box although playing oracle of ages has made me realize that this is just kind of like a zelda thing like in oracle of ages there are items that you pick up and every time you pick one up they're like hey this is what this thing is yeah well i mean that is definitely a a huge carryover from link's awakening um those uh the pieces of power and the acorns of strength or whatever it is um where every time you pick them up there's like a two box dialogue box that you have to like advance through before you can start running around um and they would the game drops them all the time um it's a huge impediment to like actually playing the game um so yeah it's it's one of those like thank you nintendo why (laughs) why haven't we been doing this forever also in another quality of life improvement includes skippable cutscenes, so they can be skipped by pressing the uh, minus button auto save the game progress will be saved automatically in addition to the existing manual save option and then skippable tutorial dialogues the introductory introductory player tutorials have been refined to be less intrusive it seems like a pretty solid suite of quality of life improvements um i do think it's funny how much of it is like you don't have to deal with this anymore you don't have to deal with this anymore all this content that we put in you can skip at your leisure um but like truly that is you know you and i talk about this a lot on the show that like so much of your gameplay experience is uh dealing with the moments between when you actually get to play it um and it seems like this is nintendo cutting out all of that time in in between uh you having fun playing a zelda game yeah totally and one thing they haven't mentioned at all or at least that i've seen is going into the wind waker hd and twilight princess hd they talked about like the little nips and tucks they made to some quests or to like the game itself in order to streamline things that players had complained about in its original release i haven't seen anything that specifically calls that out for skyward sword but they've been kind of handling, I feel like, the rollout of information of Skyward Sword differently yeah. than they did for those HD remakes. So maybe we'll find out, like, once people are playing it, that um, uh, some there have been some other changes as well. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it is funny, though, because, like, the, um, the opening tutorial area of Twilight Princess is one of the notorious knocks against that game, just as the uh, finding the shards of the Triforce quest at the end of um, Wind Waker is one of the notorious knocks against that game. Um, and I would say that the most notorious knocks against Skyward Sword are the frequent interruptions from Fee and the over-tutorializing and the reminding you of what every item does every time you pick them up, um, and not like a specific gameplay moment, right? Um, so I, I would believe, I am at this point prepared to believe, that they didn't make any changes to any of that stuff um, and actually addressed the complaints that people had. Yeah, I could totally see that as well. At a recent meeting with investors, Nintendo president Shintaro Furukawa fielded a bunch of questions that hit on some of the most frequently speculated about questions uh, regarding Nintendo's immediate future. Additional classic edition consoles, classic Switch online libraries, a new model for Nintendo Switch, a sequel for Ring Fit Adventure, 
And Furukawa artfully dodged all of these questions with like appreciative word salady, very corporate responses. Because obviously, you know, they don't answer people's questions about like, are we going to get more Ring Fit Adventure by being like, yes, like, you know, like we're announcing a new game right here, right now. Um, yeah, it's it it's interesting that he did field all these questions, um, but like on every single one, you know, he was uh, he was glad that, uh, you know, that people were interested in Nintendo titles and was hopeful that they could get players of all ages and, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, it, it was all of it was uh, dodged perfectly. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, it's so funny that I feel like he's exceptionally well-trained in how to do this. Um, cause there are like four perfect, perfect examples of this. Um, uh, just one in a row. It, it, go, go and check out the, uh, transcriptions from, um, this investor meeting. Uh, he's a pro. Yeah. I feel like in order to be like a CEO or somebody who speaks at these corporate things, like you have to be super trained in the art of saying nothing in your responses. Um, Furukawa and Shigeru Miyamoto did talk a little bit about what outside director Chris Melandondri brings to the table. Uh, Melandondri is, of course, the, like, head of Illumination Entertainment, who, you know, has made, like, the Minion movies, um, uh, Despicable Me, seeing, like, that kind of stuff. And it was recently, they're working on a Super Mario movie with Nintendo and was recently named as outside director. Uh, Miyamoto said, quote, although this is no direct tie with his appointment as a director, I've been working with Chris for over five years now on the Super Mario movie. Though that relationship, I th- through that relationship, I think he really came to understand the Nintendo point of view. I don't think it's easy for these, those overseas involved in media creation to understand Nintendo's way of thinking. But Chris truly comprehends why Nintendo creates characters and visual content. We are working on mobile and visual content in order to expand our integrated hardware, software, entertainment business globally. Working on mobile content reminded us again that while the Nintendo game systems may have reached some parts of the world, there are many places where they are not widespread. We started the mobile business because we felt it very important to conduct activities that encourage people to understand the Nintendo brand and come to like Nintendo. That resulted in also realizing the importance of visual content. The movie business, including distribution, is in a period of transformation. Against this backdrop, we think that asking for Chris's input as an expert with many years of experience in Hollywood will be great help to us in the future. Um, I think that that last part is probably the, the most interesting. I mean, also just the first part. Remember, they've been working on a Super Mario movie for five years. Uh, Crazy. Which is a it's crazy. Um, but then, uh, you know, moving into this idea that the, uh, movie business, uh, especially in distribution is in a period of flux, right? Like, you know, we're, as, uh, businesses open back up and theaters open back up, like we th- hope movies are coming back. We hope theaters are coming back. Um, but like, you know, t- time will tell, like our, there are four Marvel movies coming out this year. Will any of them make a billion dollars? Like, so many of them did uh, in uh, 2019 and 2018. Uh, you know, t- time's going to tell on that. So, like, um, if we, it, it just, it's nice to know that they are um, thinking about that and that Chris uh, Melon, Melon Dondry, there we go, um, is uh, like tuned into that and uh, helping them navigate that, those waters. Yeah, absolutely. I also, I thought it was interesting the part talking about like the mobile titles. We had heard Nintendo when they were more when they were more regularly rolling out um, mobile games and were talking about that as a bigger part of their strategy than we've heard recently. You know, they talked about how the goal of it is to create a halo effect around Nintendo and to get people more invested in Nintendo in general. And I think the point that Miyamoto is making here about like a uh, hardware console, console hardware only being available in really specific markets but mobile games having access like everywhere is a really interesting point that uh, I, I like makes a ton of sense. It makes me think of like when um, Disney was first expanding into China with Hong Kong Disneyland and they, through their like market research, they realized that there were a lot of like Disney movies that are considered like classics in, you know, like uh, Europe or in America that people in China just weren't that familiar with. 
like The Little Mermaid or like Aladdin, like those kind of yeah. movies. And so, you know, they um, were partnering with local television companies and stuff like that to like start introducing those into the market. And so like Nintendo today may not have like a really big presence in, I, I don't know a country specifically, but we'll just say like, uh, like India or something. But maybe through mobile games, that gives them an opportunity to introduce those characters there. And then someday when they are officially entering the market, um, then, you know, like people are already more familiar with it than trying to break in for the first time. Yeah, it's interesting to keep seeing the, uh, the phrase and maybe it's just a quirk of um, translation. Um, but Miyamoto, a couple times in this quote, says creating characters uh, or the, the importance of creating visual content. Um, and like that, that the distinction there is like gameplay versus a, a like video presentation thing. Whether he's talking about like TV shows or movies or some some other sort of uh, way to interact with these characters. Yeah. Do you remember on the, during the 3DS era when they made like a series of Pikmin shorts? Oh yeah, Miyamoto directed them. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting to see now them kind of like partner with somebody to help them break into it but that they were dabbling with it you know like more than a decade ago um kind of like tangentially related to this but there there was speculation this week i don't know if you saw online that a there's some sort of donkey kong animated project in the works whether it's like a movie or a tv show uh it's unknown it it seems to have originated from a leaker online named zippo so take that for what it's worth which you know maybe not much but uh i guess it would kind of follow that okay if you're going down the list of nintendo properties that um could sustain like an animated series or a movie like why not donkey kong it's also weird because like uh, you know we've been down these paths before though they're making a super mario brothers movie yeah they did that 25 years ago like oh they're making a donkey kong animated series like yeah, they did that 20 years ago. Um, and like, I'm, I'm so curious if like the attention to the quality or at least like the express, expressed attention to quality um, is actually going to bear fruit. Like, because uh, as, as of right now, we don't have any evidence that uh, a Nintendo made or Nintendo backed uh, movie or TV show is going to be any good at all. Um, so like, I'm just, you know, we, we keep saying every time we invoke the name of the Super Mario Brothers movie, please be good, please be good. Um, and I just wonder, I just wonder if that's even possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Furukawa was also sort of stumped by a question about Nintendo titles, not fully taking gender into consideration. Uh, his response was, we believe that diversity, including gender diversity is very important as a company providing entertainment. Our goal is to put smiles on the faces of everyone connected to Nintendo. And we undertake our development with that goal in mind. Specifically regarding the features of every game, we must make decisions by taking into consideration a wide variety of factors, and we may not always be able to meet every request. However, we take this as valuable feedback. Patrick, a brilliant example of what uh, you pointed out, where it's just like not really saying anything, but when in doubt, pull in all of like the, you know, like little blurbs, like uh, we want to make people smile and that kind of stuff. And then you yep. cobble it together into, you know, like a couple of sentences. And it's like, well, I guess he answered the question. Yeah, I mean, th this is also kind of a, a, a strange one, uh, too, because like, um, and, you know, obviously I can only uh, view this from uh, my own perspective as a, a, a cis man. Um, but like um, Nintendo of all gaming companies seems like pretty in tune with uh, reaching gamers of all genders, right? Like, uh, it, 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 se it seems to me like they are, I don't, I don't totally understand the objection, I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, like, is there a play, is there a way that Nintendo is not being inclusive of genders, um, or at least more so than other gaming companies? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have like the, the and the question like specifically that prompted this answer yeah. in front of me and so maybe they were pointing out examples where nintendo has fallen short like as a conservative japanese company nintendo is definitely not uh always on the front lines of pushing social causes forward and so i i think um we should always be agitating for these large corporations to be doing more sure. because uh they they can be 
Um, oh, speaking of right. which, this is not related to the gender stuff, but uh, uh, there was no real other place to put this in here. But I saw that Nintendo in Japan has started um, extending the same benefits they give to married spouses to same-sex partners, which is pretty cool. And that is actually pretty progressive for a Japanese corporation. Um, so it's nice to see progress there. Cool. Way to go, Nintendo. Former Bioware developer Mark Dara recently revealed in an interview with MinMax that the team behind the Nintendo DS RPG Sonic Chronicles The Dark Brotherhood was at one point in early development on a Max Mass Effect spinoff for the DS called Mass Effect Corsair. Um, according to Dara, quote, So we actually had a little bit working. It was going to be a DS game. It was going to be like a first person. You'd fly a ship. It was going to be a combination of Privateer and Star Control. So you would be independent. You'd be more like a Han Solo character, not a Spectre. You'd be flying around, picking up cargo, exploring, and you could explore and then sell that information back to that human alliance. Pretty much all we had was the beginnings of the flight controls. We didn't really have the rest of that game put together. The problem is that the economics of the Nintendo DS are just terrible. Sonic Chronicles was on the most expensive cartridge that was available for that console. The cost of goods for that was like $10.50, and then those things retailed for like $30. So $30 minus $10, that's only $20 left. And the retailer hasn't even taken a cut. So it was just like squeezing, which is why I think we saw a lot of the cheapest cartridge that was, oh, see, see a lot of, and then he goes on to say, the cheapest cartridge that was available for the DS was like $3.50. So that's a $7 difference. And that was the problem, ultimately. We know how to make big games, not how to make games that had uh, control of their cogs. It didn't make sense. EA was predicting it was only going to sell like 50,000 copies, which I think was complete nonsense, but whatever. That was what they were predicting. The team pivoted from DS to cell phones back in 2008, 2007, and we didn't really understand that space at all. Then it basically kind of got eaten, so as many things did. Um, yeah, so that's maybe a, a little bit of extra insight into just like the weird economics of uh, making games for Nintendo specific Nintendo platforms specifically. Um, but yeah, I, I found that really interesting. That like, you know, Nintendo, you know, for whatever other technical limitations they run up against, um, are masters at uh, making their games small and efficient. Um, you know, even something like Breath of the Wild or Mario Odyssey, these games which we recognize universally as huge games, are actually very data efficient. Um, they don't take up a ton of space on your SD cards. Um, and that's just, I don't, you know, maybe if it, that's because Nintendo has been embedded with the hardware since day one um, or since day, you know, negative 100 or whatever. Um, but yeah, so someone like EA coming in uh, later, someone like BioWare coming in later, um, has a tough time um, making those making their games as efficient, therefore have to spend more money to get the data they need on the cartridges to make the uh, you know more more ambitious games. Yeah, and you know, it purportedly similar limitations with the Switch have you know like uh, yeah. caused third parties to not put games on there just because you know uh, the Switch cartridges game carts are expensive to manufacture and you know like it wasn't until recently like maybe the last couple of years that like larger 32 gigabyte game carts were available but they're still insanely expensive which is why we saw a lot of like quote-unquote physical games that require a download it's because like yeah like maybe half the game will be on there but then also you need to go download like 32 gigs when you get home because that's how big Doom is, or something like that. Um, so yeah. that sort of like limitation from the uh, DS era continues today on the Switch. Yep, and then also just like the just the you know facts of this uh, one are interesting. That uh, there was almost a or not almost, but there was some form of a uh, Mass Effect game uh, being developed on on the DS. How cool is that? Yeah, that is really cool. And I always forget that that uh, Sonic game was uh, a Bioware game. Yeah, every every detail in that, that it was a Sonic the Hedgehog RPG for the Nintendo DS 
called Sonic Chronicles The Dark Brotherhood and that it was developed by BioWare. Every detail is stranger than the last. On the subject of games that never came out, uh, Vitai founder Giles Goddard recently told Game Explain that about a, quote, ultra-realistic F-Zero game his studio had pitched Nintendo. Um, he says, quote, We were trying to think of stuff to do, and I thought it would be really cool to have an ultra-realistic F-Zero. St- still with sort of really cool futuristic graphics, but just r- really realistic physics. We just made a demo of some really cool F-Zero cars going around this crazy track, and just hundreds of the cars using AI to sort of race each other. But they'd all have realistic physics, like really ultra, sort of a bit too over-the-top realistic. So the hovering was actually caused by four jets in the bottom sort of adjusting themselves way too over-the-top. But it meant that if you killed one of the jets, it would end up sinking, and if you killed the other one, it'd flip over and all this kind of stuff. And it was just really fun. It was like a sandbox-type thing, playing around and seeing what would happen if you caused a crash there and whatever. Nintendo are very aware about using old IP because it's such a huge thing for them to do. It's much easier to go with a new idea, a new IP, than to reuse an old one. Yeah, so a couple interesting things in here. First of all, a really like over-the-top realistic physics game. I'm just hearing Snake Pass. I don't know about you, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) An NCS uh, classic, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, and, but then I also think the, the note about, um, Nintendo being wary about using their old IP is, uh, is, is very interesting when like, man, that is just what all the, all us nerds want, right? Is like make sequels to all your old games. Um, but, uh, yeah, I I guess it's nice that they're protective and like want it to be, um, the right choice. Um, but yeah, like. Sounds like uh, Vitai had a, a cool pitch, or at least a, a, an ambitious pitch for an F-Zero game, and uh, Nintendo axed it. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too, the bit about them being wary about using old IP. Do you think that is because of like the weight of expectation that comes with the new IP? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, you need not look further than something like uh, uh, Metroid Federation Forces to be like, you know, if that wasn't a Metroid Prime game, if that was something else, uh, you know, it maybe would have stood a chance at, uh, you know, moving some units. But just knowing what people expect from it, uh, it, it being something else uh, changes the makeup of the franchise, you know, um, and uh, can set fans against it before it even comes out. Yeah, that's true. Federation Forces definitely should have been codenamed Steam Forces. <laughs> then it could have sold uh, more? less. I don't know. <laughs> what would that have done for it? Uh, Hasbro Games is releasing an Animal Crossing New Horizons version of Monopoly and the Game of Life Super Mario Edition. So an Animal Crossing New Horizons Monopoly, there are four villager tokens... The railroads are Dodo Airlines. I think that's cute. But weirdly, Mm -hmm. all the property sets are just two items from uh, the following categories. So fossil, fruit, bug, and fish. Uh, They're not actually like locations. Yeah, yeah. Not only are they uh, not locations, but it doesn't even look like they're specific. Like that they'll just be like a fossil and then the color. And so it doesn't even say like what fossil it is. I don't know if you draw like cards to determine what it is um but that also that each property set is just two pieces instead of you know just the uh the light blues and the dark blues being two pieces and all the rest of them or no wait is it purples the purples at the beginning and the uh dark blue at the end that are um just the two properties and all the rest of them being three so it seems like there's some like fundamental gameplay changes to the way this version of monopoly works yeah, and then the cards are for Chance, Decoration, and Nook Miles. And then um, Game of Life Super Mario Edition, you, Mario, Luigi, Peach, and Yoshi are the player tokens. Players will be, quote, journeying through the Mushroom Kingdom as they move around the looping paths of the game board as they collect coins, power-ups with items and companions, and play fun mini-games along the way such as Rock, Paper, Scissors, Thumb Wars, and Spin-Offs. It ends in a fight against Bowser. Um, I had never considered Rock, Paper, Scissors, or Thumb Wars as fun mini-games, but I suppose in a way they are. It is funny that they're just making you play other games that you can just play with your hands. You know what I mean? 
<laughs> and I assume spin-offs is just like spinning the uh the game of life dial to like see who gets a higher spin. Yeah. I mean, really, I would r- much rather play uh just the regular game of life but with a family made up of uh Mario, Luigi, Peach and Yoshi. Uh yeah, no, that would be great. I mean, you can kind of do that now. You just have to pretend that you're playing as Mario. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. That's a great point. Um, This isn't super new, but I was alerted to it online this past week, so I thought I would spread the love. Back in December, Switch users in North America and Japan have their eShop accounts like tied to Google Analytics automatically. Like Nintendo added, I, apparently they have some sort of like data link with Google Analytics, and everybody's opted in automatically. But if you don't want to share this info, it's easy to opt out. Um, just go to your account in the eShop, scroll down to the very bottom, and change the Google Analytics preference to don't share. Uh, it does not seem to affect European accounts, I think, because they have different like privacy laws where you can't just opt yeah. people into things like you can here. Um, I Just the other day, I was uh, doing a little research for a thing I was writing about um, cars. Uh, and, you know, just like looking looking online at, at various like car websites. And I guess I must have brushed up against a uh, car dealership website and I didn't enter my information anywhere. Nothing. Um, and the next day I got an email from them being like, hey, we saw that you're interested in a Subaru. And I was like, what? Do not do this. This That's horrifying. I get why or how it happened. But like, my God, do people respond well to that? I know it's so weird. It's so weird. And the thing is like all of, you know, these little like opt outs from like Nintendo, it's like, yes, I do it, but it doesn't make any difference. Our information, like my information is, you know, like everywhere. It is impossible to um, protect yourself online. And so I, these little things like they, they, uh, uh, you know, I'm just trying to like hold my finger in the dam just a little bit longer. It seems like, right. Well, it's, I mean, it's especially funny because, like, in some ways, it's a little bit like trying to protect yourself against COVID-19, um, because uh, e- if you come in contact with someone who isn't opting out of uh, all that kind of stuff, your phones know when it's in proximity. Like, if you and I are together, Mark, your phone knows that it is in proximity to my phone, and it and shares that, like, I've been Googling whatever. So if I, if it thinks that you and I have probably discussed uh you know tied laundry detergent or albertson's grocery store uh, it's gonna serve those up to you because i searched for them it's just so uh gross it's completely gross yeah it's super gross and finally uh speed running marathon games done quick is going right now it runs this week through saturday night pacific time it's raising money for doctors without borders um i watched the oracle of ages and pikmin 3 deluxe speed runs on Sunday night, and there was a Paper Mario run Whoa. yesterday that I want to check out, but some other ones that I thought seemed fun or interesting. There's a Link, The Faces of Evil, the CDI game that's being run Wednesday at 11.20 p.m. Pacific Time. And then uh, on Saturday in the afternoon Pacific Time, there is like a solid block of Nintendo stuff, but there's a Mario 64 70 star blind- blindfolded run Saturday at 12.20 p.m. Pacific Ooh. Time that I am interested in. You can check out the full schedule at gamesdonequick.com. And uh, if you, uh, you can find videos of the speed runs posted on their YouTube after they're completed. Uh, one question, one observation. Um, the question first, uh, how, I- how is it to be playing Oracle of Ages uh, and then watch a speed run like as you are in the middle of playing through this game? Yeah, and they only, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because the stuff that I like labored through, you know, like crawled through glass so I could get to, you know, the, the, uh, yeah. that, the, that second dungeon after Crescent Island, you know, they just like do it in seemingly like two seconds and they only do the three, they only do three dungeons and then there's some glitch that they use to get to the end of the game. Oh. Um, and, I, what was what was the second part of it, or was that it? Was that all I was? Responding no, that, to? that 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 was that was all the question. And then the 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 comment is um, a blindfolded run of Mario sixty four is especially impressive. You see a lot of blindfold runs of two um, D games, uh, but a blindfold run of a three D game uh, it just requires so much like nuance and like knowing where barriers and boundaries are and like picking up sound cues and stuff um, that like 
it seems like a, a magic trick. It, they, they're all ma- every blindfold run is a magic trick, but in a 3D game especially, is like how in the heck is that happening? Yeah. Oh, totally. I think a year or two ago, I watched one at a GDQ or AGDQ where it was like 30 stars or something like that. So I think this is a lot more stars than has been shown previously. That's so cool. Um. Uh, all right, Mark. Well, let's uh, let's close out the news. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, you should share it on Facebook or Twitter or whatever place you end up sharing things so that your friends see it. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at NinCart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by 8 You can get more of his music by going to 8BitBetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Ellers saying in the game of life, Luigi would choose to go to vocational school instead of to college. And thank you for listening. Hey, it's Mia. Hey, it's Allie. And we host the Rom-Com Review Podcast, P.S. I Love Rom-Coms. Each week, we'll have incredible guests come and discuss a new rom-com, grand gestures, meet-cutes, and of course, that elusive chemistry. Mia, what are you doing holding that giant boombox over your head? I'm hoping to win over listeners with this grand gesture. Take us back! Find a new episode every week. And subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Campfire Media. Wow, you're uh, still holding that boombox. Yeah, I've got great upper body strength. Thanks, CrossFit. P.S. I love rom-coms. I love rom-coms. Campfire.